Men of low moral fiber. Choo, choo, choo. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. This is how I saw episode two. What kind of movie you talking about, man? <laughs> Okay, so let's move seamlessly now. And I'm Kurt Reynolds. Dirty then. Double down, Don. We need to give a parental advisory for this. Clicking furiously on my mouse. Eat the paella. All right, everybody. Let's get swifty. That was cool. That was fun, guys. Awesome. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show that weaves out all the chaos and evil from every show so you, the listener, don't have to. I'm your host, Ben Helms, and with me, as always, is my distaff-grasping, foie gras-loving, loom-child-controlling, co-hosted big brother, Jason Helms. I can't believe I did all that in one take. Uh, hey, man, uh, it's been it's been quite a month, right? Yeah, just don't say distaff-grasping ever again uh, in my Yeah, presence. it's gross. Um, what about loom-child-controlling? Loom-child was nice. No, loom-child was <laughs> Everything you say is gross, man. Um, oh, yeah, yeah it, true. It, you've true. been uh, following along on social media. I know a lot of our listeners uh, are friends and uh, friends of friends. Yeah. It has been a rough month. I played most of this game in the NICU with my uh, daughter, who is three weeks old today. Oh, man. And so she is doing great. Uh, she was born with a congenital heart defect um, that is known as TGA, if you want to go read a bunch about it. Uh, and at nine days old, she had open heart surgery. So wow. the first nine days were really, really rough. Um, not going to get into all the details, but just suffice yeah. to say it was really, really rough. And there were a few really close calls that were scary and a lot of tears. And I've spent uh, 19 of the last 21 nights in the NICU or the cardiac ICU. Um, and so I'm finally like, I slept at home last night. I'm finally getting a little wow. bit of my mind back. I'm feeling human again. Um, and so is she. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's looking right. less great. And, less and less tubes attached to her every day. She's doing great, yeah. Yep, she'll be coming home next week. So That's um, crazy, man. things are great. She's doing really well. Uh, shout out to the people at Cook Children's, uh, especially Dr. Yeah. Tam, who performed the surgery and is just amazing and a superhero. Um, but all the people there have treated us really well. So um, awesome. thank you, all of you. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for just supporting us. Uh, my wife and I on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, it's been great to have so many people reach out. So it really, really touched us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, lots of thoughts and prayers for sure. Every every day, every hour, it seems since since then, for sure. But it, I, I feel like doing a podcast about video games seems uh, seems weird and shallow the past month that, that, that I have lived. Obviously, I, we don't even live the same state, but just kind of like going along with your journey, you and I talking every couple hours throughout this whole thing and uh, but it does. We didn't have to change the the scheduling of this one or the previous podcast. Uh, Harper was born uh, a couple days after our last podcast, and so yeah, about three weeks ago or three weeks ago today. And so right now, you said things are just starting to kind of you're seeing normalcy in kind of yeah. who she is and stuff. So it's kind of nice to have another kind of normal thing. Us recording our monthly podcast together. Yeah, exactly. It feels like coming back, coming back to normal life, which is good. Great. So good. And she's doing great. So so that is awesome. So uh, yeah. Let's uh let's talk about let's talk about Loom. Yeah. Yeah, and this was a nice uh, short game which was perfect for this uh, yes. hectic month. Yes, yeah. Uh so it's it's been a while since we talked about it. one of those classic graphic adventure LucasArts scum games. We were kind of in the 21st century for the past 3 months, so it's it's kind of nice to get back to our roots. Uh but yeah, we're we're talking about Loom, Brian Moriarty's baby. Uh in fact, in our very first episode of Maniac Mansion February last year, uh Jason, you said that you were you talked about Loom. You mentioned that as one of the games you're kind of most 
anxious about or looking forward to anticipating yeah. uh, you said you were scared of it but also excited you knew a lot of people who just loved that game still 25 years later 27 years later you heard that uh, people who finished the game kind of came out on the other side a different person yeah uh so those are it's kind of lofty goals lofty expectations <laughs> but how did the game hold up just a quick overview for, compared to that it so so when i first played it i was nine um um, okay. Did you oh, beat it back no, then? No, no, no. I got to the Emerald City. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, that's as far as I remember getting oh, okay. it. I never owned it, but I played it on a, uh, a friend's at one point. And it was so incredibly difficult. And I remember writing down codes in a book and just like pages yes. and pages of writing down random letters. And so that was my memory of it. And I was like, how could anyone play this game? It's impossible. And so now playing it again, um, it was a lot easier than I remembered. Um <laughs> Oh, Just, cool. It, not to say it's an easy game, but because right. to a nine-year-old... Well, it's it's meant to be easier than most, yeah. Yeah, to a nine-year-old, that level of abstraction just was impossible. I couldn't handle it. Right. Um, and so it... And I, I thought it was actually really enjoyable. It was also a lot goofier than I remember. So in my mind, the uh, Crystal City is like full-on just serious, um, awesome, futuristic world where everything's made out of green crystals. And like I've had one or two screens from from the Emerald city, like kind of bouncing around my head for almost 30 years. Nice. Um, and that they shape my idea when I, you know, read things talking about a futuristic city, it's the Emerald city I see from loom. Oh, wow. And so it, <laughs> seeing it again here, I was like, Oh wow. It's, it's goofy. It's very cartoony. Yeah. And yet to my nine year old mind, it wasn't, it was very serious and it was, so it's kind of cool to be able to reflect on that. It was an interesting balance of, of taking itself seriously, but also not, not extremely so. Yeah. We'll get into this a little later, right? Uh, but yeah, it all started spring of 1988. The very first GDC, the gamer or the Game Developers Conference uh, in the Bay Area, where fellow game designers at the time, Noah Falstein and Brian Moriarty, just happened to get to a, a talk by Chris Crawford, a mutual friend of theirs, a little late. So they both happened to only find the last two seats in the front row of this talk, sat next to each other, uh, and they got to talking after the talk. And Falstein, as we know him now, who previously recently was the chief game designer at google uh it was before that the executive producer at dreamworks when dreamworks first started so worked closely with spielberg with that uh and then of course we know him best as a project lead on a bunch of lucas arts games coronas rift fate of atlantis a bunch of other ones uh but yeah this is before all of those are those is actually after coronas rift so this is before right in the middle of his kind of lucas arts right fame i guess uh and he asked brian moriarty to join him at lucas arts which to to Moriarty at the time and to us still and to a lot of people, Skywalker Ranch was just kind of this heavenly realm to be employed at. And just to be at was it's just kind of like escape from reality to work at. And that's kind of how he described it. Uh in in he actually gave a GDC talk in 2015. I think it was the Loom post postmortem. It was a really good talk, an hour long, and it's just Brian Moriarty talking about from conception to reception to criticisms, development, everything. It's it's really, really good. So I, I listened to it. Throw it on two times speed. It's only a half hour long. Really good. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. Anything uh, you have to add about kind of the pre-game LucasArts era or anything? Uh, no. This is the fourth Scum game. Yes. And so so far we'd had Maniac Mansion and Zach McCracken, which are very much the same kind of um, humor, the same kind of, you know, we're really seeing the LucasArts um, ethos kind of being built. And then um, we've got uh, Last Crusade. Um, right. Which is it's kind of a one-off. All the indie games are, are a little bit distinct because yeah. they're they're dealing with uh, existing IP. Uh, and then we got Loom, um, and so Loom had to figure out 
where it wanted to be. And it tried to be a little bit more serious than Zach McCracken and yep. Maniac Mansion um, while retaining some of the humor. Um, it also retained the uh, idea that you could not die, which was other than I think Maniac Mansion has been true of all LucasArts games. Uh, it started actually, you actually, uh, Zach McCracken was the first one to to use that and actually put it in the manual. Yeah. Uh, Loom gets credited with that a lot, but yeah, Loom was the second and then every single LucasArts game since then. Exactly. Cool. Got it. Uh, but yeah, it, it does seem like a, a weird, weird now in hindsight, right? Back then there was like a dozen LucasArts games, but uh, it's, in hindsight, it seems like a weird departure for LucasArts games because it is so fantasy based and so uh, kind of un, um, unconventional with, it does, you know, it has the two thirds screen, two thirds graphics, one third um, kind of verbs, I guess, or actions, I should say. But the, I guess the, the story and the, the fact that it's not verbs, that you're playing yeah. your distaff, right? You're playing chords or you're playing notes, I should say. Makes it very unique, uh, and the fact that they never really went back to fantasy. This is, yeah. this, in my eyes, and I think at the time too, was this was a Sierra thing. Yeah, this wasn't a Lucas Arts thing. Where's the comedy? Where's the crazy cartoon effects and funny noises and stuff? So very different, especially if you're feeling a little tired or worn out of those classic like Day of the Tentacle, Maniac Mansion, and Monkey Island games, but you still like that kind of scum, simple setup. Jump into this game. It's definitely a fun kind of departure, but still a familiar territory as far as the gameplay. Yeah, yeah, it's a big tone shift uh, compared to yeah. the rest of the arc, but not necessarily compared to those first three where they were still trying to find their footing. True. And we've got, you know, Ron Gilbert to thank for them not going back to fantasy yes. and that he hated fantasy, uh, as we've covered before. One thing, you, you mentioned Sierra, though, uh, the connection there. And, and so I wanted to to point out, uh, this is, I'm just reading Wikipedia here. Uh, nice. So there's my citation. Space Quest Four from Sierra oh, referenced yeah. Loom. And in it, there was a description of a video game called Boom. Have you seen the cover? No. It's so Loom. The cover is two hands holding, playing like Cat's Cradle, right? Like yeah. a Loom, like strings between the fingers. Can we talk about uh, how that's your favorite thing in the world? And that uh, when you were eight, you played Cat's Cradle like Oh my gosh. Like all I the still, time. You still love play Cat's Cradle. It's oh, so, uh, I can't wait till my kids are old. They probably are. I'm going to try some Cat's Cradle with the kids tomorrow. Cool. Anyway. Uh, boom is the same hands, just with an explosion in between the hands. <laughs> so uh, it's in the game's r- Radio Shock store, which, yes. hey, Sierra, way to go with those puns. Yeah, I mean, you guys were you guys real, were hitting on all cylinders. Uh, and the uh, description of the game is the latest bomb from master storyteller Maury Bryanardi. Clever. Boom is a post-Holocaust adventure set in post-Holocaust America after the Holocaust. What? Neutron bombs have eradicated all life, leaving only you to wander through the wreckage. No other characters, no conflict, no puzzles, no chance of dying, and no interface makes this the easiest to finish game yet. Just boot it up and watch it explode. So that gives you a taste for not just how Sierra reacted, but how kind of the adventure game community at large, the criticisms they had for Lou. Now, that's not to say it didn't find an audience. Real quick. Uh, yeah. He uh, Moriarty mentions that exact thing. He said he found it on a Tumblr. The Tumblr title was, hey, look, Sierra Games, what was it? Something to the effect of Sierra Games predicted Gone Home and Dear Esther. Walking simulators. <laughs> <laughs> like a game that you can't lose. It's just basically telling you a story. Yep. Which we love. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Brian came from the from uh, Infocom and from Text Adventures yeah. and was, there's, there's a... Yeah, we'll talk more about the adventure game kind of history there. Sure. Uh, but suffice to say that that, that criticism was definitely how people, some people felt at the time, uh, especially people who would have loved Sierra. We talked before about the Sierra versus LucasArts kind of divide. Uh, if you wanted Sierra games, you wanted a game that was going to kill you yeah. for no reason whatsoever. 
you wanted difficult puzzles. You didn't necessarily care about um, story in the same sense. You wanted a, a pretty kind of straightforward story. Uh, you're good. You're going to defeat evil. That's There's a big conflict. I'm going to win. Uh, but only if I do everything right. Now, other people did really respond well to Loom and liked it and actually liked some of the things about it that they critique here. So we'll we'll get into that as we go through the development. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it was ended up being published in 1990. Uh, artists, my, uh, Mike Ferrari, Gary Winnick, Steve Purcell, Ken Macklin. We'll get into a little bit what they did. But the sound design, uh, John Rieger and uh, Randy Tom. Randy Tom, by the way, nominated for 14 different Academy Awards. Uh, were kind of two of the guys that helped get all of the sound design record in the field, kind of get all of the original sound bites for the game. Uh, which, by the way, the original sound for this game sounded nothing like no. the GOG version of this game, which sounded yeah. pretty dang good. Yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think one of the reasons they used the scale of C and only was it ended up being the full scale eight notes. Yeah, uh, was the fact that they they only had about eight notes to work with. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so included with the original game packaging was also a thirty minute cassette tape of kind of the story of Bob and Threadbare. It was the Loom backstory, right? Which was I feel like would have been really nice, and I should have sat down and listened to it before because it gives you a lot of it answers a lot of the like, wait, why am I here? Questions. What am I doing? Why are people swans? The production value is so much better than you would have imagined. It's really good. I mean, this is, again, using professional voice actors. You know, these are British actors actually speaking onto this tape, which in 1994 game is is mind-blowing. That wasn't a thing that was done. Yeah. There are... Okay, when Bobbin's mom, uh, Cigna, yeah. cre- creates him with the loom, like, there's some sexual overtones with the way that she uses the loom. Gets weird. Like, it's got levels. Yeah. It was a really impressive 30-minute audio drama that you just throw into a game. Uh, no, I agree. That's a totally weird thing. It's got levels uh, to it. You and I know. You and I know. Hey, be, be humble. humble. Uh, so, yeah, you had that no-death philosophy. And it, it, from Moriarty's mind, the, the philosophy going into the game was he wanted something that wasn't going to send you on a wild goose chase. No pun intended there. Oh, come on. I just <laughs> got that. Oh, it was this swan rough. song. Literally but the whole no, thing. It's terrible. Wild... It's terrible. Oh, no, the whole idea, right, is that it's it's simpler and shorter than most other yeah. graphic adventure games and uh it was steve arnold head of lucas arts games at the time that told him the two mandates for his game creating one was don't lose money and two is don't embarrass george so as soon as he heard that and he didn't hear it has to be funny it has to be like a comic book it has to have your 12 verbs at the bottom he threw everything else out the window and wanted to do something that was simple and short and was something that invited kids and beginners to join and wasn't necessarily just for hardcore gamers but Obviously, hardcore gamer can play it and still get depth out of it and still enjoy it. Because in his mind, children and beginners greatly outnumbered hardcore gamers. Yeah. And that was something that he really wanted to kind of jump in on and not have people be frustrated by. Uh, he talks about at Infocom, the, the the Venn diagram of people's favorite games and the games that they finished were pretty much the same circle. Yeah. And so he wanted to make sure that if someone started this, it would hook them quickly and it wouldn't be so frustrating that they would quit. Uh, like yeah. a lot of these games in our memory are right. Yep. So he wanted to kind of get past that really quickly, which I thought was a cool idea. I hadn't thought about it that way until I heard his interview about that. So that was good. Um, the uh, gestural interface, as he calls it, as opposed to the verbs, which is the playing the um, playing your distaff in the key of C kind of thing, and where it lets you open things and interact with things and all that. Uh, which, by the way, the uh, what was the book called that it, that it got you that it gave you the, the book beginning? of patterns. The book of patterns. Uh, yes. By the way. Only about half of those patterns that are in that book, which I thought were so overwhelming and still do that whole book. Yeah. Uh, only about half of them are in the game. How yeah. frustrating is that? Oh, no, no, no. Brian. More than half of them are in the game. Um, 
you only need about half of them. Oh, maybe that's what it was. I think there's about four or five that aren't in the game. Oh, okay. Uh, But still, the majority of them are in the game. They're just not necessary to win. I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. But yeah, and then he in in the GDC talk, he broke it down to the the fact that there's only three actions in this game. Another way to simplify mm-hmm. it, when at the beginning of the game, it seems overwhelming, or it did to me because it was yeah. so different than these games. There's only three actions: watch, walking, touching, and spell weaving. Yeah, and then obviously under spell weaving, there's a lot more, but it really is all those things. I mean, there's no like look at, talk to, touch, pick up, throw. I mean, it's just click or double click. Yeah, are really the only actions you have. Uh, he did talk about a lot of customers at the time running DOS three didn't have a mouse which sounds like the most frustrating thing in the world yep. but also explains why they would have all of you all the all the uh the entire scale of c at your fingertips on your keyboard yeah yeah and then he in his another thing is gdc he plays a clip of ocarina of time doesn't say mm, anything about it wow but as soon as he played it, i was like oh my gosh wow this is only six years later that ocarina came out and it's a game <sighs> where you're controlling things by playing a flute yeah Japan just jumped in on that one. That's amazing. But yeah, Ocarina more, of Time was ninety six. Jeez, I think it was the original. Yeah, I think it was original in sixty four game. That wow. um, Super Mario, Goldfinger, no, Goldeneye. Thank you, uh, and Goldeneye, Goldmember, Gold Goldfinger, whatever it was. Anyway, uh, it, was, it was held as one of the most beautiful games of all time. I, I'd say that that holds up if you think about nineteen ninety. That yes. definitely holds up. I mean, it's a beautiful game, especially if you think about. I mean, right now my screen is like. 2200 by 1700 pixels and it's right. a, a seven-year-old screen 27 inch so it's not even a good screen uh but back then the best screens the ones that were re- or the, the screens that 99 percent of people were running were 320 by 300 pixels yeah with a choice of either four or 16 colors and what they what they did with that was so amazing um, yes there's so many cool images in this one that jumped out to me was uh the kind of distancing mist effect that they had over the pasture where the sheep are, yeah, where the dragon yes. raids. And you just see the mountains slowly receding behind. The depth of and field there. such a depth of field. It's yeah. so solid. And it really yeah. makes you feel like you're in this huge immersive environment, which is amazing to do with with how little they had in terms of screen space, colors, um, things like that. So Mark Ferrari was one of the, the, the artists that did all the backgrounds on Loom. Uh, and he had no computer experience at all before he started this. Wow. So he's literally going in and going like pixel by pixel by pixel, just wow. drawing it. Just an artist beforehand uh and he wanted to get more in depth he wanted to push uh gary winnick he wanted to push ron gilbert he wanted to push all the developers the programmers to kind of integrate some more advanced coloring techniques uh in one of his ways in pushing this i guess was kind of to subtly push uh the developers he left a his computer monitor on to a background that he made totally out of game but he just made in like paint or some sort of like pixel right that was a dithered and like beautifully done only in 16 colors, but it was something that they couldn't program, but he could paint just on a still mm-hmm. of that very first shot or that very first screen that you're in of Bobbin right. sitting next to the tree and you end up going to the left and you see like all the hills and you see kind of the stars and the ocean and everything. Uh, so he had that up on his screen. He went to lunch and when he came back, there were three or four developers just sitting there looking at his computer in awe at how beautiful that one shot was. Mm. And within yeah. two months, they figured out a way to program the awesome. program dithering into the game, which is kind of that shading in between colors that they were able yeah. to do. So one of the first games to have that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, Ken Macklin did the, all the box art for um, for this game. And Maniac Mansion did a lot, a lot of art in the game. Steve Purcell, again, uh, of Sam and Max, Zach McCracken, Monkey Island, did a lot of the um, animations as well. Uh, and then there was a sequel 
There is a sequel, I should say, right? Forge. There is, there is and will be. There is and will be, I guess. I don't. I'm yes. not. It's hard to say how current this is, but at least uh, right now, chapter one is out on a game called Forge, a fan made game. And actually, Moriarty he said at the end of his his GDC talk that one of the biggest regrets he has in his professional life is not pursuing a sequel further. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't originally designed to have a sequel, even though the game does kind of end on a cliffhanger. Yeah. But as after it came out, uh, Moriarty immediately came up with the idea of a trilogy in which the second would be The Forge and the third would be The Fold. And The Fold would be um, talking about uh, you'd, you'd play The Shepherd. Right, right, right. Oh, which, okay. And then one other cool thing there is The Folding also has to do with weaving. Weaving is a kind of folding. Uh, so it could all tie back together. And in The Forge, you play you would play as Rusty Nailbender, right? So unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. It's a great name. Yeah. We'll get into the names, but yeah. All right. Let's get into the gameplay. All right, Jay, you played this game before I did the last couple weeks. I was frustrated when I was playing, and I went to you every time. I had you as someone who was a few hours ahead of me, uh, and I, every time we talked, I was like, oh, I get it now. I'd play for another hour, and I'd call you again and be like, what is happening? I'm still so frustrated. So how did you get through the first couple hours? All right, so I I did pretty well. Um, I found a hint system. That first, it wasn't the UHS, it was a, a different one because I was just looking for the patterns because I had okay. forgotten a pattern. Uh, oh, I was okay. like, oh, I didn't write that one down or, or I don't think I've got it right. Let me look back. And one of the things it said is, um, remember, you can play back patterns backward for different effects. And I was like, oh, that's so obvious. Yeah. And so that was the first hint that kind of unlocked things for me. I gotcha. I gotcha. But up till then, I was doing well. Um, it was frustrating or it was, I shouldn't say it was frustrating because I actually emotionally didn't feel frustrated. I just, I was confused and didn't know what to do, but I still enjoying it because every once in a while yeah. I get something to happen and to feel like you're just banging the keys and yeah. you're like, I think this is an idea. And then it works. Yes. It was really satisfying. Um, and so that, that was great. Um, finding out I could play things backwards. And then there were three spots that I needed hints on. Uh, the first was um, opening the sky because I just didn't realize the sky was a thing. Oh, okay. Second, was kind of the same issue, which is didn't realize the tower in the Emerald City was the thing I could click on. Same. And then third. So by the way, the first two could be solved by just having the ability to highlight what things are clickable. Yeah, a lot of those old GOG games in uh, Scum VM or in one of those yep. new um, kind of DOS box things, you can hit tab or a certain button that highlights all of the the ver- or all the nouns, I guess that you yeah. can interact with. And this did not have that. That, that would have been great. Uh, and then the third was, I, I thought this was a game where you couldn't get stuck, but that's not entirely true. Oh, really? I managed to get stuck when it came to unsharpen the blade. How do you lose there? You, they don't just sit around and talk for a while. I didn't know the sharpening better. Oh, you had to go. Back. And so I looked it up. I was like, Oh, no big deal. They've oh, and you're in jail. You online. can't go back. Yeah. 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 Oh, sure. If you didn't learn it in the game, you don't know. No. It. Oh, and so you say, Bobbin. you say, you know, Oh, that must not be a pattern, right? Or that must not be a draft. Right. Or you say, that draft doesn't work here. Right. Well, if you use a draft that you didn't learn yet, it says, hmm, there must be something wrong with that draft. Oh, oh that's why. Okay. Which is I like, gotcha. hey, by the way, backtrack the last hour. Uh, I timed it. It was only 25 minutes. But, oh, those 25 minutes were mainly just bobbing walking from one thing to the next. Um. So, yeah, o- overall, I actually thought it was fairly intuitive for how complex it is 
<laughs> like I, th- I think if you set the bar high, it's intuitive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think the thing that got me the most was the plot. Like, I didn't know yeah. what I was supposed to do. I, I understood I only had whatever it was, the three, the first three uh, notes in the scale, but I didn't know kind of what I was supposed to do with them. Yeah. And the first five or ten minutes of the game is so dense with all those cutscenes. Yep. And there's Hetchel and your mom or you have the elders and, like, it's not your mom, but your son of Signa, right? So your parents are mentioned and, like, they turn into swans and they fly away and there's this big rainbow loom that you don't really know what to do. There's no there's no tutorial that says click over here or double click on this to find out what it does or play things back. Like it just seemed like there was so much information and none of it usable. Like it didn't seem like it was immediate instructions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let me compare it to a game that I think everybody thought I was going to compare it to um, Destiny 2. Um, so sure. Yeah. We're playing yeah. Destiny 2. Uh, it came out a couple months ago. Um and the first like half hour, 45 minutes is almost all like cutscenes and tutorial. Sure. But they right. do it in this brilliant way where it, do- it feels like you're playing the game uh, and it, it never feels like you're being given a tutorial. Um, and not only that, but they start you out at a really high level where you can do whatever you want. And then based on the events of the cutscene, you are incredibly weak and you can't do anything. So you then have to learn everything from the ground up. Yeah. And it's really satisfying and an interesting way to do it. Yeah, that is good. That's better it's, than like first person shooter way of just like, here's a gun, press this button to shoot it, run through this training course for the next half hour until you get good at this game, then start the game. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's really solid. It's, it's one of my favorite kind of tutorial backstory intros that That's I've cool. ever seen. It was, it was really nice. well done. Um, nice. Boy, did this game need that. Um, yeah. So many things I love about this game. It needed a tutorial and it needed the, the cutscenes to feel like you were still playing the game. You need a little sprinkling of Larry Kasdan, right? Yeah, to come in here, yeah. touch it up a little bit, make you feel at home, make you feel comfortable. Wink, wink a little bit to the camera. Slow things down a little bit. It could use definitely a little slowing down. Um, yeah, it, it just, I was overwhelmed the first hour of playing for what, sure. If you'd listened to the uh, audio uh, drama, you I, yeah, would have that been helped a lot. confused, but... I would have been more, more buy-in at least on the characters. Yeah. 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 I would have been more patient. And okay. Okay. Let's flashback. Imagine right. it's 1990 and you're 14. Yeah. And you open up this wow, game. Wow. I'm not. And <laughs> it has, okay. um, it has in it, uh, a tape. And the tape says that you're supposed to play it before you play the game. Hell yeah. Like that's kind of cool. I go like, out and I, I, I dub copies for my friends is what I would yeah. have done. Yeah. Like it, it's really, really a cool way to do a game. Yeah. That's cool. I did not have that. Unfortunately, I looked at the box. It cost $700 on eBay, so I did not wow. buy that. Uh, the tape the tape is actually only $45 by itself right now. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah. Dude, we have... Uh, should we get in a- there's a basement somewhere that has all of our stuff in it. Um, it's worth, I don't know, evidently hundreds. Probably not worth the cost of trying to find, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, somewhere, man. Anyway, so you want to get into some of our favorite uh, puzzles, least favorite yeah. puzzles, that kind of stuff? So Crystal Guard was frustrating as fuck. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the tab or whatever. If if I'd known what things to 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 click on, what things were interactable, would have been nice because the backgrounds are so intricately drawn. It seems like you can interact with everything or nothing, and so the fact that there's just these little orbs or little bells here in the corner it just took forever to find those things. Uh, but luckily, a quick call to you helped me out through there. Yeah, the um, one of the first puzzles I solved was filling the chalice, which is so necessary. The chalice and then filling the chalice, and then I was like, wait, yeah. what am I supposed to do? And then I played a bunch more and then I got stuck again 
And then finally I looked up the universal hint system. I was like, before I even look at a hint, I'm just going to look up the chalice. What do I do with the chalice? Yeah. It was like, you could, have you tried filling it? Have you tried emptied it? Yep. That's what you can do. And I was like, yep. no, I was so proud of myself. I didn't do anything. Did I? Yeah. Moriarty talks about how he had so much more planned with the, um, with crystal guard, uh, how that it was, there was like this, these three hourglass things that people were like shoveling sand into. And you're supposed, it was like a time travel puzzle that you were supposed to get into and like go forward in time. And like, that sounds really cool, really frustrating too, but something that he realized halfway through that it was one of the puzzles he was trying to leave out of the game. It was one of those almost like time filling puzzles for hardcore gamers that really doesn't advance the story at all. There were a couple things in Crystal Guard. Crystal Guard might have borne the most marks of this. This part wasn't done yet. It still needs yeah. work. Yeah. Um, like the whole, like, we've got a six hour scrying fear. I specifically demanded eight hours. Oh, okay. That's going to be important later. There'll be like an eight hour yeah. thing. I was and, waiting for, yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Just a random, random kind of thing. All right. Cool. Well, that was fun. Yeah. We need dialogue. Write me some dialogue. <laughs> What Orson Scott say? Card. Get me Orson matter. Scott Card. Man, I, he was, I guess he was a year too late to... No, because it... Yeah, I guess he was like a year or two after this game came out, I think. Came to LucasArts. No, he did write the dialogue. In this game? Yeah. No. Yeah. Orson, what are you doing? Phoning it in, man. No, no. no. Who knows what he wrote? It's, Who knows so, what he wrote? it's so Orson. So much. It, it, it so is. Orson. You're right. It's, it's not the dialogue itself. It's the use of the dialogue throughout the game that was frustrating, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the which amount well, obviously was not The sheer amount. The, yeah, yeah. The sheer amount. That's true. All right. So... I think the one I'm most proud of is the uh, straightening the path yeah. or the stairs. I was like, oh, it's curly. Oh, wait. I know how to straighten out a tornado. I can straighten out these stairs. Boom. I was so proud of that moment. Yeah. Uh, the dragon stuff was good because all you have to do, all you have to interact with is a dragon and gold. And I already know how to turn gold into straw. And then what did you do after you turned the gold into straw? I, I had to cheat. But you terrorize the dragon. That's not what I flame. did. What did you do? So you, one of your notes, I'm looking at your notes and you list like a couple puzzles that you solved and almost all of them I solved differently than you. And you end what? up with, wow, such a linear game. And I thought the same thing. And now I'm like, wait, there were evidently three or four ways to solve the same puzzle. So tell me about the dragon one. Uh, I put it to sleep and then it snored. And when it snored, it lit the straw on fire. No way. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. I, and you terrorize it, which is like, oh, that totally makes sense. Wow. All right. All right. I'm in. Uh, the other cool. one is you said you didn't know that you you didn't know emptying so that you could empty the pool. Yeah, um, I didn't in the caves. I didn't empty the pool. I learned reflection from the pool, and then I moved on. Oh, that's true because I think I emptied it. Looked at the there's like another glass ball in there that shows you some stuff, and then you oh, no just way. fill it again. Yeah, totally missed out on that. So I, and again, the, like that. So let's get to the heart of it. We'll stop talking about these puzzles. Go play the game if you haven't. Sorry if, if you, we spoiled <laughs> some stuff for you. Spoilers <laughs> behind. Whoops. Anyway. Uh, but the most frustrating thing for me is overall the, the lack of connections and depth with so many of the things. Like I found that glass ball under the, in the little lake in the caves, but why you didn't need to find it. And why did I have to find it? And was there a significance to the green three of these orbs around town? Like, I don't know. I appreciated the kind of intentionality with things like you're your Bob and threadbare and all the naming and you're a weaver and all that. Rusty Nailbender is part of the, not Smiths, the Forge. The Forge. And I guess it is the Smiths, right? The Blacksmiths yeah. and all that. And that, that makes sense. But so there was consistencies there. I liked the kind of homages and references to a deeper mythology behind the game. And again, reading through the, um, the, the book of patterns or listening to the 30 minute tape 
would have given me much more appreciation for that. But it just seemed like the whole thing was unfinished or, or didn't, I didn't have that appreciation or understanding is a better word. I didn't have an understanding of kind of what was going on at a deeper level, especially having these kind of unfinished things throughout the game. So I just kind of lost touch with any emotional connection I felt like I was supposed to have. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay. Let's go to your remaining questions because I think I can answer two of the three. (laughs) And the third one seems like a really obvious question that I just don't remember. But go on. Okay. So why should I go in the order? Yeah, just go in order. I'll answer in order. Why swans? Uh, Referencing Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake which was the opening music. Uh, and also the idea of then connecting that to telling a story with music. So um, imagine it differently. Imagine if it had been uh, a little boy uh, going out into the woods to see a wolf. You would have immediately gotten the connection been like, oh, I get it, Peter and the wolf. And they're like, the different music is like different animals. Okay, good. So because the opening is Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, yeah. it's using swans. Not a great answer, but there you go. The second one's going to be similar. Why looms? Because the loom was associated with both storytelling and fate. We spin a yarn, right? Yeah. A text is a textile. It's a form of story. The names of the three elders, Atropos, uh, Lachesis, and Clothos, mm-hmm. are the names of the three fates in Greek mythology who spin your life. One uh, starts the thread, one weaves the thread, and the third cuts the thread. The idea is you're born, you live, you die. Uh, and your thre- you're the thread of your life is what you're fated to do, and it's spun into a wider network, a wider loom of uh, life stories. Right. The three elders, Klaatu, Barada, and Nikto. Yes, yes. Right, Which, right. by the way, uh, is is uh, my name on the Star Wars Galaxy mobile game. So, wow. Um, hit me up. Let's, uh, wow. let's get in a guild together. Wow. Nerd on nerd alert. Jeez. Nerd on nerd. Uh, or nerd squared. I don't know whatever that is. Uh, when you're nerding about well, something else within a nerd thing. Technically... Well, within a nerd thing, you're talking about Star Wars within. Oh, jeez. What is it? The day the Earth stood still. Nerdception. Nerdception. Nerdception within a video game podcast. Wow, this is crazy. Okay, let's get back out of this. Uh, by the way, if you die within a nerd, within a nerd, no, you die. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you're still a virgin. <laughs> All right, third question: Why was Hetchel getting kicked out? And I watched I the intro again. I have. A, they don't specifically say. But my guess she, is because she was nice they, to Bobbin. Yeah, well, they wanted to kill Bobbin because yeah. they thought he was the reason of there was a rift in the uh, the weaving of the universe or whatever, uh, or there was a tear in the fabric of time or whatever. The and in the she didn't want. I think she was just saying, "Don't kill this child." Right. They're like, "No, we want to kill him. You're out of here." Yeah, and and in the audio um, drama, I almost said documentary. Uh, in yeah, the documentary yeah. that it opens with, <laughs> the making uh, of Hetchel is his surrogate mother. Um, so it would make sense. You, you couldn't kill Bobbin without taking care of her first. Okay. All right. That makes sense, I guess. So, and then let's, let's get back to, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Might be too strong. <laughs> that all adds up. Uh, let's get back to my bigger question, which is kind of the idea of, of why the swans? mythology. <laughs> why, but, but why swans again? Uh, well, like we all grew up with like knowing Greek and Roman mythology or like classic supernatural like biblical stories that we've all known for thousands of years all across the world, across societies and cultures that have added weight and appreciation we all have an appreciation for at least an understanding of they've been around for so long and impacted so many different countries and cultures and everything uh and that has given meaning and strength to those ideas and so when you jump in and kind of create your own uh and whether that's you know lord of the rings or chronicles of narnia they're leaning heavily on 
allegories and myths and character types from those stories to kind of give us familiarity. This jumps so further into or so much further into kind of a new realm of the swans, the looms, the chaos, the all of these things that it seemed like it wanted me to have an understanding of that I or an awareness of that I definitely did not. So it part of that is good world building, right? It's it's episode four versus episode one, where episode four is lived in. Right. It's not over explaining things to you. And episode one is. Uh, but this just kind of maybe didn't do it enough for me. I don't know. Did you feel any of that too? Or how, what, totally, what are your thoughts on that? Totally. Okay. Um, okay. So I feel like in some ways it couldn't decide if it was mythology yeah. or if it was a world in which they have a different mythology than we do. Yeah. Because like the world that existed doesn't work. It's not a, a, a working kind of world. Like right. you've got the blacksmith in one world and the, the weavers in another world and they never talk to each other and then they hate what's, each other. Yeah. What's the entire can, point. Like, right. How do you, how do you live then if you're not at least talking to each other or, or uh, exporting and importing and so, stuff like that? Yeah. So, eh, um, the, the audio drama helps place you a little bit better and they give an entire backstory about it. That feels very, you know, Tolkien esque. Yeah. Uh, it was long after the passing of the second shadow when dragons ruled the twilight sky, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it goes through uh, how the guilds came about and why they didn't trust each other and then why the weavers went off to their own island. Like, it, it's got like a history. It feels very Tolkien-esque. You don't necessarily get that sense just playing the game, though. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it works in some ways. Uh, it's myth-ish. Uh, but, you know. Yeah. Maybe not in other ways. Anything else? Gameplay? Uh, I, I think just one last recognition of I love the interface. Yeah, yeah. I really, really do. Um, I wish it had had a better tutorial to just kind of bring you into it. Mm-hmm. I want this game to exist again. I want them to create new versions of it. Maybe, they did in 1996 for uh, <laughs> just Nintendo. <laughs> just play Ocarina of Time instead. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, it, it felt like a really, really rich thing. Um, Very unique. Yeah, that they could go into. So, yeah. What's the beer? This game's pretty fun. With frustration. When I was all done, I just had to question. What's the beer? What's the song? I can't always tell. I just want to know. What game is Westy 12? It's not. <laughs> not quite Westy 12. Not even Westy 10 and a half. All right. Uh, you want to start with your beer? Yeah, yeah. I picked uh, Tilburg Dutch Brown Ale. Which um, I remember buying for you at one point yeah it was a beer i was obsessed with had you had it or did had you just heard of it well so the way i i came to it is i decided uh i liked belgian beers and i liked nut brown ales and i wanted to homebrew a belgian yeah. nut brown ale yeah and so i made it and then i wanted to taste what would that what would an example of that be does any, has anybody discovered this before mm. and the closest i could get was tilburg dutch brown ale and it was Really, it was really good. I liked it. Uh, it tasted nothing like mine, and it was not like a nut brown ale much at all. Uh, really more just kind of a Belgianish beer. Um, but it's I chose it because of a few things. First off, it's got a great Hieronymus Bosch label to it, uh, which gives you this kind of medieval fantasy vibe uh, that fits with Loom. Terrifying. Yeah, it's totally terrifying. Um, and then it's also got um, – it's blending things that aren't usually blended. Um, right. It's trying something new and interesting, and it it works pretty well. Like it's it's not the best beer ever. It's it's sure. uh, but it's an interesting beer that you'll remember. 
yeah. it's also not bad. You know, it's it's enjoyable. Nice. Uh, which is kind of the way I felt about this game. Nice. Really interesting. I'm glad somebody took risks and innovated, but it's not going to be my favorite. I like that. My beer is scotch, which, nice. as I say aloud, is maybe the greatest bumper sticker ever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I went with very dark, but like organic. So you get some of the peatiness flavor in there. Um, the game, very organic, playing with all of the backgrounds and everything. Frustrating. Lots of greenery. Not a lot of levity, but still a little sweetness intermixed with a lot of depth and forced depth and at least like an appreciation of depth. Uh, but yeah, I went with McAllen 12, which nice. I had a few times this past week. Went to Vegas last weekend or or yesterday, I guess, whatever day it is. Who knows? Uh, and had McAllen a couple times there and really enjoying it recently. Yeah. Just like this game. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I thought at first maybe you were going to say, um, my beer is scotch because this isn't a game and scotch isn't a beer. <laughs> uh, that was going to be something that would have been dismissive. better. Dang it. Anyway, my song is Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Oh, nice. Which the imagery is pretty obvious. You have the hooded uh, hermit or wizard or whatever that is and all the Led Gandalf. Zeppelin imagery. It's, it's probably Gandalf. Anyway, with the lantern there, and that's kind of every character in this game. Uh, or at least it's the main character. It's Bobbin uh, and all of the weavers. And yeah, I think that's kind of the closest connection I have. But it has this... I mean, Stairway to Heaven is one of my all-time favorite songs. It's like seven and a half minutes long. It has an amazing, a couple amazing guitar solos. It has 12 strings, six strings, acoustics, electrics, crazy stuff in it. And it's kind of like this game where it has so much stuff packed into it and I want to spend more time there and then it's over. So even though it's a long game, you can spend four to six hours on it. It's not the longest game, but it's a significant amount of time. Uh, and Stairway is a long song. Every time it's over, I wish there was more. Yeah. So in this game, I don't necessarily want to go back and play it all again. But at the end of it, I just kind of wish there was a little more things here and there to kind of round off the, the rough edges. Yeah. So I chose uh, Mech Amputecture by the Mars Volta. Amputation came, Philistine praise, bottomless pit of empty incarcerated habits torn from the pot, severing the press. And it's, I chose it because it's kind of this, kind of a convoluted mess. Um, it's got a lot of good stuff about it, uh, but it's it's never going to be a radio hit, and it's never going to be a song that I just want to like. Oh man, I just need to sit down and listen to some mech amputecture. Right. It's always going to take work. I'm yeah. always going to have to pay attention to it. Yeah. It's complex. It's interesting. It's got its own kind of mythology worked into it. And then the more you listen to it, the more you know that there's something deeper in it. And similar to Loom, it doesn't necessarily pay off that more work that you put in. It's like, just get a sense that there is something deeper. Don't actually try and figure what that figure right. out what that is. Because if you do, you, you'll be disappointed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right, man. I think it's time to talk about what game we're playing next month. Let's do it. What game we play next month? I don't know. Yeah, my vote is Zach McCracken. Zachy McCracky, original scum. Yeah. So uh, what I think about this is uh, let's just keep it rolling, right? We're going back to the old school stuff. We're, yeah, we're definitely let's, let's in the never vibe. call it Zachy McCracky again. Let's never time. do that. Let's never cool. speak of this again. Hopefully, cool. no one recorded it. Nope. The other thing is, I remember it being a long game and very difficult. And time wise for me, this is a good time for that. Like. Cool. I'm I'm in a good place. I, I can do that. Um, and, and knowing that that's coming, I can devote some time to it coming up. You ready for that? It's our last game of the year, right? Because that's our December game. Then we have a little Christmas episode mid-December. 
uh, maybe a couple side quests between now and then. But yeah, that'll be the, the last game until our uh, our February game. Yep. Yep. Nice. So yeah, we'll definitely have some time to enjoy it. Uh, oh, and uh, while we're here, um, you may remember last year we had a side quest on Stranger Things. Don't worry, we will have another one. But it's not going to be here. It's going to be over on our other podcast, The Overthink, yeah. which we created just to, to kind of cover side quests. Um, it really spun off of Mulf that way pretty naturally. So um, it's already come out. Uh, if you haven't been listening to The Overthink, uh, check out The Overthink channel. You'll probably like lots of stuff, but you'll almost certainly like Stranger Things too. Like we did. Anyway, spoiler alert. We enjoy Stranger Things. <laughs> I think that's all we have for you. Uh, definitely, yeah. Check out our website, menoflowmorefiber.com. Uh, we'll have uh, episode notes on this show, on every show we have there. Anything in between, we'll have there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can email us at molmfpod, M-O-L-M-F-pod at gmail.com. And please, you know, if you have a couple minutes, either check out our Patreon or go and rate and review us on iTunes. One of those two things. You can even do both if you have four minutes, two minutes here, two minutes there. We'd love it. Uh, but yeah, even a dollar a month would really help us out, have a little more time to do this podcast, which we love doing and people love listening to. So it works for both of us. Uh, but yeah, as always, Jason, thanks for joining me. I have been Ben. And I will be Jason. And I'm still a mighty pirate. And your pious meddling has brought the end of my dream. You will hear for all eternity the cries of those you have abandoned, Bob and Threadbare. You will always know that you have left them under my rule. Ah!